the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, with his faith firm in the Lord, David won't back down. He faces Goliath and wins. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 36. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 36. All right, 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17. Well, into this situation steps a young man whom the Lord is with. And so with a simple mindset and a courageous heart, David puts himself forward as the man who will represent Israel against the giant. And so David explains, I killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be just like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David's heart gushes with courage because of the basis of his confidence. When David calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, it's not an insult. It's almost like he's saying to Saul, you're right. There is no comparison between me and Goliath. He doesn't stand a chance. There is no comparison. David is in covenant with Almighty God, the one who promised he would never leave Israel, he would never forsake Israel, and he would fight all their battles and give them victory over their enemies. He's like, he is uncircumcised. He is not in covenant with God. I am. And therefore, he does not stand a chance. Yes, he may be a soldier from his youth, and I may not be a trained soldier, but I'm in covenant with the Lord. And that counts way greater than any of his training way greater. He doesn't stand a chance. So the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David's heart gushes with courage also because of God's past faithfulness. David wasn't a match for a lion or a bear. But as the Lord helped him do his job as a shepherd, the Lord will help him do his job as Saul's servant. Let me do this for you, Saul. God's with me. He'll help me do this. And David's speech is so convincing that Saul gives him the go-ahead. That's only possible if Saul's own heart is stirred to courage. And how could you not be stirred to courage by David's words? They're the truth. I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I've had a situation come into my life and I'm just overwhelmed, like overwhelmed. And David, it's not that he didn't experience those times too. There are times when David was greatly overwhelmed. But what did the psalmist sing? My heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to a rock, the rock that is higher than I. David's on that rock right now. He's on that rock. 
He is looking out going, yeah, it's ugly if you're looking at it from down there. But I'm, I'm here. And here, it's smooth skies. And so, it's normal to feel overwhelmed at first. But we have to remind ourselves of the real facts. And that nothing is a match for God. If he is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Well, Saul attempts to equip David for the fight, verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, which is going to be large. David's not a big guy yet. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And not only are these probably oversized for David, but David, he's not a soldier, so he's not used to using these things. So David girded his sword upon his armor, and the, and the Bible says he essayed to go. It means he tried to, but he wasn't able. It mean, essay means to try to do something, but you just can't because it's not a good fit. And so David essayed to go, for he had not proved it. He had never used this stuff before, not armor or weapons like this. And so David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And so David took them off of him. Saul had strengthened himself by doing things like this, doing things his own way for years. It was, he's just become part of his life now. Forget about seeking the Lord or thinking God can do his own thing. And so it makes sense he'd prep David to meet Goliath with the best tools. But David wasn't going to go out there to match Goliath strength for strength, right? I mean, that's not why he's going out there. So why bring any of that armor? He's going out there with the Lord as his armor. And so in verse 40, we see David go out without any of this stuff. It says he took his staff, the weapon he was used to, a shepherd's staff, probably what he killed the lion and the bear with. It says he came out with his shepherd's staff, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a, a scrip. It just means a small container or pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So here comes David out. He's got his shepherd's staff. And the crook, and, and then he's got, he's got a sling in his hand. I mean, that's how he's going out. And he's walking out to the middle of the battlefield where Goliath's doing his spiel. And so the Philistine, verse 41, Goliath came on and he drew near to David. So he sees someone coming out, but he doesn't know it's David. He doesn't think it's a shepherd or anything. So he comes near, he says, oh, they're finally going to send out a challenger. And so he comes out and it says the man that bare the shield went before him. So his Shield bearers out in front of him walking with the shield. I mean, he's ready for a full-on contest here. But when the Philistine looked about, the word there means to consider, to, to gaze at. He gets a better look at David. When he starts kind of studying him, it says that he disdained him. The word there means to, not just that you think something is worthless or beneath your consideration or deserving of your scorn, but it's some way that you show that. So, I mean, I don't know how he did that. I mean, we know he's going to insult David in a second, but, you know, I don't know if he's looking at David, all of a sudden his face is like, this is a joke. And that's kind of what he says here. He's like, in verse 42, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he's but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. In other words, he's a red-haired pretty boy. He sees David, he's a, this, what's this red-haired pretty boy coming out fighting me? Where's the guy in the armor? Where's the guy with a sword? And so, he says unto David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because that's the preferred method when you're trying to chase off a wild animal. You don't go after them with a sword or something like that. I know they like to do that in battles that the, you know, people, you know, stab animals. It's always, it's always stabbed animals. The animal's like this dumb animal just jumps and the guy's like, Ugh. that's not how you, I mean, that's not how animals fight. They're scrappy. And a sword's not going to help you out in that because the animal will take a cut as long as you can get to your jugular. 
And so you tended to, to have more bludgeoning type weapons against wild beasts and, and creatures like that. And the shepherd, even when the shepherd was out, he had his crook for the sheep, but then he had a, you know, rod he'd go out with too. And it was to either throw or, you know, throw at the wolf or to beat him off. And that's the idea. You crack a rib or whatever, and then they're done. So he says, am I a dog? And, and that's a, a phrase that was used back then, uh, basically like the, the lowest of the low, you know, person of low status. So you, I know, am I a nobody here that you're going to come out and treat me like an animal? You know, come out with, against me with, like, with sticks? And then Goliath cursed David by his gods. The word there means to invoke divine harm. He, he said, Mike, you know what? Insulting me like this, I, before we even fight, my God, just strike you dead right here with lightning or something. You've angered my gods by this type of insult. Can I encourage you something? I hear a lot of Christians acting like Goliath today. Don't be like Goliath. You've angered my God by wronging me. I'm his kid. I, I deserve to be treated better. Jesus told us that the world would hate us and mistreat us. And Jesus set an example of how we're to respond when that happens. So let's do that instead of returning evil for evil or insult for insult. And if you're going to disobey the Lord's command to do that, then please, please, please don't use the Lord's righteous anger as your excuse. God does not get insulted because someone mistreated you. The Lord is just and he will deal with it in his own way. But the Lord's desire is to show mercy, to forgive them just as he forgave you. And so if putting you through a few insults so people can see Jesus is something that will bring that person to him, the Lord is more than happy to throw you in front of the insults. He's okay with that. And we have to learn to trust him with that. Verse 44, the Philistine said unto him, after he insults him and curses him by his gods, he says, come to me and I will give your flesh unto the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. But David was like, I'm not ready to come. You spoke, I get to talk too. So then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear. It is almost like David's like, how come no one thinks like I do? Like Saul's talking apples, oranges. You know, all the men out there, they're all talking apples, oranges. Now Goliath and him are talking apples, oranges. He's like, let me give you some perspective before I kill you, Goliath. He says, you're making the same mistake everybody else is making here. You come out against me, he says, with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Bravo. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You're all calling your gods to strike me dead because I've insulted you? You've insulted the armies of the living God. You think he's going to ignore that? Just do nothing? And I've come out in his name. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. You know, he tells Goliath, you've come out with all your tools. He goes, I'm not going to fight you out here on my own, though, with those kind of tools. But he, you're up against the Almighty God, which means you've already lost. Now, is David being presumptuous here? Because we talk about this sometimes. Like you hear some people and you're like, dude, you need to come down off your cloud. You know, you need to chill out and, you know, relax for a second. Is David being presumptuous? Because we have no record of God telling David to fight Goliath. None. How can he know this is the Lord? 
Well, I love what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 46 and 47. He says, and I will smite you and I will take your head from you. And I will give the carcass, this, not you. This isn't about me and you. This is not about me being better than you. I'm going to give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines, the entire army of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You kind of just want to get up and clap when you see that, you know? Like, get him, David. But David's hard here. He is so confident, he shows why. He knows why this is the Lord. Because David's motivation isn't Goliath's motivation. David's motivation isn't personal confidence and not even patriotism. His motivation is to be a witness that the God of Israel is real. That everyone would know that his God is real. And I love how he explains to Goliath, the Lord, he doesn't save with sword or spear because the battle is his. David's motivation isn't personal glory. It's the Lord's glory. And so David is not being overzealous, arrogant, or even just emotional here. He knows the Lord is with him based on Samuel's anointing. He knows God's spirit rests upon him. And combining that with God's promises to the nation and a desire for God to be glorified, David knows he's right where God wants him to be. And therefore, he cannot lose. I think it's so important for us to ask God to check our heart to see if pride is there because pride is often hiding behind the excuse of courage. But when you've asked the Lord to search your heart and you've lined it up against the word and you know that it doesn't violate the Lord's word, the Bible says we should step out in faith and go forward. And so the question you have to ask is this, is my motive God's glory or is my motive personal success? Is my motive to be a witness or is my motive to shut this person up or crush my foes? If the motive is right and you've asked God to search your heart for other things and you line up with the word, then why not step out in faith? Amen? Well, verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, Goliath was done with the verbal sparring. It came to pass when the Philistine arose and he came and drew near to meet David that David hasted. The word there means he acted immediately. As soon as the Philistine, Goliath, made his move, David did not hesitate. There was no hesitation. And so it says that he ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. So as they're on this, whatever battlefield it is, I have to say that probably one of the highlights of my life it was teaching this passage in the Valley of Elah. It's probably one of the coolest things ever. While I was teaching it, all this huge herd of sheep came walking behind me. And it was just like, I can't believe I'm here doing this right now. But when you're in this valley, you can picture it. I mean, it's a big valley, but it's not like this miles and miles of valley. You can picture it. One army here, another army over there, and these two guys shouting at each other from a distance. You can picture it in your mind. And the thought, though, of David just running toward the entire Philistine army. He's just out in front, running toward the army, toward Goliath at full speed. It's just, it inspires you. And it says that while he was running, he put his hand in the bag, because it never says he stops. And, And the nature of the Hebrew here implies that he's still running when he does this. He puts his hand into the bag. He takes from there a stone and he slung it. He hurled it at the Philistine. 
so that it smote the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sunk into his forehead and he, Goliath, fell upon his face to the earth. It's almost slightly anticlimactic. That's it. It's over. No, I can take one of these little things and pull or whatever, but that's not the type of slings that these guys use. They, these are the things you kind of whirl around. And so the concept of running, like you see in the movies, people are running and shooting and stuff, but that generally is not very accurate. You look at studies and stuff, no, it's not accurate to be running with and slinging at the same time. So this is a very low percentage shot that David makes. And, and remember, we've already studied Goliath's armor. He doesn't have a whole lot of weak spots that a rock's going to do some damage, except the place where he can see, right here. And so David's aiming for a very small target with a very low percentage shot, what many would call an impossible shot. And yet, David hurls a stone, and it hits him right in the forehead, so that it, the word there sunk means to strike deep so as to create a depression in the object it strikes. The stone, when it hit Goliath, it caved in his skull. And he just falls face first. I mean, he's just, he's there and, and he's just, he's done. I mean, it's over right then and there. He just falls down dead on his face to the ground. Now, the question, of course, is what just happened? I mean, everybody's watching. That's not how they expected this to pan out. No one knows if Goliath's dead or not. I mean, he fell to the ground. But is he dead? That's kind of an important part of the contest. You have to be dead to have a winner. From a distance, no one would know. So David needs to do something as proof. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. How's he going to prove this guy's dead? David says, I'll use his. So verse 51, therefore David ran. I mean, he just, he doesn't break. He runs and he stood upon, he stands on top of Goliath, takes out his sword, drew it out of the sheath and slew him and cut off his head with it. Made sure he's dead first. You know, I don't know what he did. Slit his throat, stabbed him, who knows. But then after that's done, he cuts off Goliath's head. And when the Philistines saw that now they know their champion's dead, They fled. Now, remember, I told you that this is not the first time that armies had these one-on-one contests to determine the winner of battles. No battle was ever determined that way. Everybody always fought afterwards. The problem is it was a big, huge morale blow to the losing side. And we see here that the Philistines flee. They do not honor the agreement. They run. They're like, oh, no. This this, They're just shepherd boy killed our best soldier? We're done for, and they run. Well, verse 52, this stirs up the courage of the rest of the Israeli soldiers. And so the men of Israel and of Judah, they arose and they shouted and they pursued the Philistines until you come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron, to the very gates of one of their chief cities. And the wounded of the Philistines, they fell down. So there's just Philistines dying left and right all the way to Gath, even unto Ekron. And so the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents because when you run like that, you don't have time to grab your stuff. David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem, but his armor he put in his tent. The word tent can also mean home. So this is a very quick battle. This is not a long battle. Goliath and all the things that made him so ominous just become another log in history. On the way home, 
David drops his noggin off at Jerusalem. No explanation why he does it there. I have no clue. And then he takes the rest of Saul's stuff, his armor, his sword, home as a trophy. We know from other scripture that eventually he takes all of that stuff to the tabernacle and gives it to the priests. And it's there at a later date. But what a huge victory for Israel. What an amazing thing that the Lord used this unequipped guy to take out a guy who has been trained for this moment his whole life. And yet, even though this was a huge victory for Israel, it was not Saul's victory. Saul is absolutely baffled by this outcome. He's baffled at David's courage when he was so troubled and baffled that David won. And so before David does everything that verse 54 says, Saul asks about David's family. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I cannot tell. So the king said, inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And the word there, stripling, means that David's under 20 years old. You never use that word for someone who's over 20. So David's a teenager of some sort at this point in time. Might be 19, but very likely he's 15 or 16. And so as all this is going down, Saul knows that David's father is Jesse, but he doesn't know anything about Jesse. So he asked Abner, he's saying, what's this kid's background? What's his lineage? Where did he learn to be like this? And Abner, he goes, don't have a clue. Jesse's name didn't conjure up any great deeds or any great lineage, which is sad because just a bit of knowledge of God's word, and they would both know that David's ancestors were Ruth and Boaz, two godly people who also experienced the Lord's hand on their lives. Saul says, well, I need to know, so go find out. And so David gets arrested again. Look at verse 57. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him. That's what that word means. He seized him. He grabbed him and he brought him before Saul with the head of that. I mean, he still got the head. He doesn't even get to put that down. And Saul says to him, whose son are you, you young man? Can I tell me your story, bro? I mean, where do you learn to do stuff like this? And I love David's answer. I'm just a son. I'm nobody special in that sense. If you're Want to know my training, my background, my lineage, what my family's about? I'm just the son of Jesse the the Bethlehemite. I'm just a guy who was trusted the Lord. And there it is, David and Goliath. David explains, I'm nothing special. I'm not head and shoulders above the rest of Israel like you are, Saul. I'm just a regular kid that knows my God is really huge. That's it. And you know, that's what a courageous heart is. It doesn't ignore the problems around it. It isn't absent of fear. It doesn't have an inflated view of itself. It just has an accurate view of the Lord. And it evaluates everything else in light of that. Is that your heart? Do you overemphasize your shortcomings, your weaknesses, or your inadequacies? Or do you evaluate things in light of who God is and what he said? That's what God told Joshua to do. It's what he calls all of us to do. God told King Asa, I love it, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Asa, after he had trusted the Lord for the victory over the the African army that had invaded Israel, later on, he doesn't trust the Lord with a smaller army. And the Lord comes to him through the prophet and he says, Asa, my eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the earth. And all I'm looking for is someone's heart who is completely yielded to me, fully yielded to me that will just trust me completely. All I'm looking for is a heart that looks to me. 
oh Lord, I know if I'm asked that question, I know I would answer it at different ways at different times in my life. Because sometimes, Lord, I've not had that courageous heart. Sometimes I've, I've had that heart that looks at my own inadequacies, feels overwhelmed, you know, sees my own shortcomings, sees my own weaknesses. I fail to see your greatness. And so, Lord, maybe there are some tonight who are, who are battling that. Maybe they're looking at their own inadequacies, their own weaknesses, and thinking, Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't be the husband or the wife or the dad or the mom or the, you know, the person, you know, the, the, you know, sharing my faith. I can't do these things like other people do it. I'm not like them. Lord, lead us to that rock that is higher than I, higher than us. And remind us of a, a teenager who said, there's nothing special about me, but there is something very special about my God. Lord, you are an awesome, awesome God. And you more than make up the difference for whatever we are inadequate for. So Lord, tonight, whether there's something going on in our lives or not right now that we need to courageously trust you for, we, we decide, Lord, we want to have courageous hearts like David. We want to have an accurate assessment of who you are and look at everything in our lives in light of that. And then, Lord, we commit tonight to be those who will obey you no matter what. So fill us with your spirit that we might do that, Lord. Fill our hearts with courage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.